Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports is starting up again. How do you resist the pressure and raise an empowered athlete along with an empowered human being? Stay tuned. This is the On Voice Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thank you for being our listeners, and thank you, too, for supporting our sponsors. If you have spent any time at all at a youth sports event, baseball, basketball, lacrosse, t-ball, you have surely encountered parents coaching from the sidelines. Parents loudly criticizing the ref's calls and second-guessing the coaches. And if you know the parents, you know none of them have ever coached or refed. Many of them haven't even played a sport in decades. They don't know nearly as much about sports as they'd have you believe. Today's guest knows sports. She is a former D1 athlete, she's a peak performance coach, and a former Nike executive, and when she watches her kids play, she, quote, sits heavily on her hands and holds her tongue. Welcome, Kirsten Jones. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. All right. Why? Why do you sit heavily on your hands and hold your tongue when you do know something and how in the world do you manage to hold it together when, I mean, I'm guessing you have those parents at your kids' sports events as well. Yeah, so the genesis of the book, Raising Empowered Athletes, comes back to when you get pregnant, everybody and their dog hands you what to expect when you're expecting. And it's the best gift because you're like, this is awesome. I'm going to be the best parent. I, you know, it's the size of a lima bean. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And so through the whole pregnancy, through every single, all three of my pregnancies, I, you know, read the whole book cover to cover. Right. And then you get to kick and chase and you're standing on the sidelines of, with your four-year-old and the parents are looking at you like, you're not going to do this. Are you, you're going to, you're going to play play you're not like rack you play club right like we're going to sweden this summer like you got to get on that team right like all of a sudden having even again played sports worked at nike been been around it all my life i married an athlete i'm standing on the sidelines with my four or five six-year-olds and going this isn't normal this isn't healthy and how do we how do you stop that fomo like you do you start feeling behind you start panicking absolutely you show up for your first, you know, youth soccer or, or like I said, t-ball or whatever it is where you are, no matter how young the kid is. And there's somebody saying your kid should be doing something more already. And you're like, this kid can, especially in the case of boys, this kid can barely go to the bathroom independently and handle the whole situation. So what are you talking about? Yeah, it's nuts. And it starts, it's starting younger and younger. And of course, the problem has, I think it's been the, the frog in the pot. It's grown very, very quietly over time. You know, in the in the 50s and 60s, 
you know, 26% of women worked outside of the home. By the time we get to the 70s, over 67% of women are working outside of the home. So what happens in the 70s when you have two income families? You have kids with time on their hands, right? So when that starts happening, mm. then parents are looking around for things for their kids to do because going out and playing in the street when nobody is home is not as safe. On top of that, in the late 70s, early 80s, we come up with a nation at risk, like we're behind academically. The Americans are losing the race. And so now all of a sudden we're worried about how smart our kids are. So what are we going to do about that? Well, we have more money. We can start putting resources towards that. And in 1981, Adam John Walsh gets abducted. On the front of every, you know, every milk carton is, you know, 38 million people tune in to see this child has been abducted. All of a sudden, we have this echo chamber of it's a scary world. We can't let our kids go out and play in the streets. And we have more money. So what are we going to do? We're going to start controlling how our kids show up in sports. 1979, ESPN comes online. Now I can see three-year-old Tiger Woods. You know, Now I can see Andre Agassi. Now I can see Serena Williams and Gretzky. So I don't think there was any like epiphany moment where like, ooh, I really want to create but it's been this slow boil over time where dads start getting more involved. We start spending more money. Then you start realizing the 10,000 hour rule, you know, that comes along yeah. and like, Ooh, if I spend 10,000 hours creating a prodigy, then I too can raise the next, you know, Tiger Woods. So the, all of these kind of slow things have happened that in our generation, you played softball in the spring and track. And then, you, you know, like you did every sport as the season went and, Parents had zero interest or zero emphasis on my kid playing college and for sure not playing pro. That was right. never a thing where now you hear coming out of the delivery room. Well, you know, this, he's definitely a baseball player. He's going to be doing this and this and, this. you know, we're labeling them younger and younger and the pressure is too much. I like well, that you laid out that context because so much of it was done in good intent. Parents love their children. Parents want to keep their children safe. Parents want their children nurtured. So there was good intent along the way. And I know you you outline this in your book. And I'm, I'm going to, um, the title of your book, the full title, which I love, is Raising Empowered Athletes, a Youth Sports Parenting Guide for Raising Happy, Brave, and Resilient Kids. And I know one of the things that that happened the most American story ever, money gets involved. And now it's this whole youth sports industry complex that is making a lot of people a lot of money. And the biggest challenge, Janet, you, you may hear this from some of the families you work with as well. You know, parents have pretty good instincts. You show up, you're on the sidelines, you recognize these kids don't have a clue. They don't particularly care, kick and chase. Yeah, I mean, it's a herd of children following the same ball down the field. That is where they're at developmentally. And yet you've got people saying you need to sign them up for more. So on some level, parents are going, this is effing crazy. And yet you don't feel like you can opt out of it because this is the system. I know you literally wrote a whole book about that. <laughs> but uh, what advice do you give for parents right at that point? You know, you've got a young child, a young son. You just thought it'd be a good way for him to burn off some energy. Yes, so I say up until age 13, 14, try everything. And I get it. It, it starts to get really crazy. Eight, nine, 10. I have, I coach 
little girls in volleyball at nine and 10 and the parents come to me hat in hand apologizing. I'm so sorry, we're so late. She's only starting volleyball now at age 10. No, like we should be trying everything. And that includes ballet and horseback riding and rock climbing and keeping them active. And really the focus when they're young are through the, th what I call the three Fs, friends, fun, and fundamentals. If you can get them in an environment where they're gonna have fun, they're gonna make friends, and they're gonna learn about whatever fundamentals about whatever X sport. And then parents, here's the fourth one, avoid the fourth F, FOMO. You need to do what's right for your family. Yes, if your kid is exceptional, yes, if that's your thing. There will be a couple of people that listen to this and like, okay, she's nuts, we're not, and that's fine. <laughs> I know there are some people that that's their path and that's what they wanna do and you know, click away, this isn't for you. But for a lot of us who are just thinking to your question, we just wanna have them have fun. We want them to get exposure. We want them to use their bodies. We want them to be healthy because we know that will stave off depression and anxiety and overwhelm and all of those things then try, try different things. Sign up for a season and you go through the season and when you're done, you, you evaluate. Was that, mm -hmm. are we ready to move on? Yes, no, okay. What I hear from parents as a family coach is there's the, that place of, do I make my kid do this sport? I, I talked with a mom of a 16 year old yesterday who only wants to be at home, do an Xbox and she's making him quote unquote, play football. And she's worried about that. Like, uh, you know, is that too much that I'm making him do that? There's that. Then there's the kid who wants to quit after five weeks. Do you let him quit? And yes, there's those kids that love the sport and they're out there all the time. And then there's the ones who, uh, they don't really like this, but then the parents are like, but you have to do this. Mm -hmm. So to your first example with a football player, you know, maybe football isn't for him and that's fine. So we can pivot away from football, but tell me what else you're doing and video games isn't one of them because when we're just uh, absorbing everything, that's when depression sits in. When we're just taking everything and when we're creating, then that's when our our juices flow. Hey, maybe I want to be a writer. Hey, maybe I want maybe I want to develop video games. Okay, fine. Like let's figure out, you know, how we do that. What are you, you going to go take a course online? Are you going to uh, my my at the time 13-year-old son was doing a bit of that where he was just wanting the game. And I said, "If you want a game, then you need to go create videos." And he would go into the backyard and post little funny like pouring milk over his head and he got tons of downloads and he started to get this like little hit off of what he was doing. And he was like, oh, this is kind of fun. That's you're getting out of this, taking in everything mm -hmm. and you're getting into creation. And if he's not a football player, there are plenty, of, some kids aren't competitive. It's right. fine. If you're mm -hmm. not a competitive person, there's tons of things you can do along. What I'm interested in you, mom, is saying, I want you to be healthy. And I yeah. want you to have a lifestyle. What we know is if at age 23, you're not working out at all, your risk for depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation and all of those things goes through the roof. So football, those aren't your guys, fine. But let's find your your activity that's mm -hmm. gonna help put you into creation mode. Mm -hmm. yeah. And for the second one about <laughs> quitting mid-season, I say, you, you we finish what we start, unless with the only exception, if there's any danger, of course, if there's any abuse or anything that's dangerous, then yes, that's an automatic, we're out of here. But mm -hmm. assuming everything is healthy, great. You said you were really excited about playing tennis. 
you know, we got two more months of the season. We're going to, we're going to finish this season and then we'll move on. And then mm-hmm. start thinking about what it is you want to do next. Yeah. But we finish what we start and it's that for a lot of reasons, right? Like, okay, but I don't like the girls or they're not very nice to me or, okay, this is the opportunity. Maybe tennis isn't what you're going to get out of it, but you're going to learn about the social aspects of it. You're going to learn about advocating for yourself. You're going to learn about how do I go up and talk to the coach about not feeling comfortable. Like the, the really sports is this metaphor for life mm-hmm. around, you know, how we want our kids to, you know, behave in the classroom. Like we want them to go mm-hmm. up and talk to the teacher about this grade I didn't like. We want them to go and ask, you know, the coach, hey, why am I not playing? That's the life skill that's going right. to be priceless mm-hmm. far beyond when the ball stops bouncing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to also address the fact that many of the sports we talk about are expensive and it is a privilege to be able to participate. Especially the way it's gone today. I mean, it used to be so much more common for there to be very low stakes rec programs. And now even in places where the rec programs are, well, you really got to get your kid on the travel team. You need to be in the club team. So address that because there are certainly parents who do want to encourage their kids. Maybe their kids show a lot of interest, a lot of talent, and they don't have the economic resources. Yeah. And it's a huge issue because the answer just isn't just go play rec because in a lot of these environments, there is no rec anymore. Like the rec has been eliminated because of the money and the money's come in and taken over all of that. And yes, parents are spending up to $12,000 per year per kid for a sport. Yeah. And of course you could then say, wouldn't you be better to put that in a, you know, in a 529 and, you know, go pick up chess and, and again, <laughs> go play tennis in the backyard or on at the, at the park, then deciding, okay. So it's a family values discussion around, I wrote about this in the book where I had a family call me and she was all stressed out and, you know, he really wants to play club and all of his friends are playing club. And we just don't know if this is the right thing. And I I don't know the woman, I'm assuming the boy is 13 or 14. And I said, so how old is your son? She goes, well, he's eight. And I Mm. said, and what are your family plans this summer? Well, we were supposed to go whitewater rafting and we're going to go camping. And I said, okay, this is a family discussion. What do we value? And if we value at eight for him to be with the family and make memories, which by the way, we only have 18 summers before they're off and my third one just flew the coop this morning for the next three weeks. I'm an empty nester at the moment. It's like, oh, this is a totally different thing. It goes by fast. So deciding what's important to you. And I get the FOMO, right? Oh, but if we don't do it at eight, then we'll be behind at nine. Like it starts right then. But at a certain point, you also can't teach height and you can't teach athleticism to a certain degree. There are certain things that are going to catch up with your child, good or bad, that will be levelers ultimately anyway. And you missing two weeks of a summer tryout or summer camp or travel tournament is not going to predict his future success in life. You mentioned height and athleticism and how some of that is, you know, kind of innate. I want to dig into that for a moment because on boys, boys, uh, some of them are very late bloomers. They in seventh grade, they're not tall. They're not strong. They look a lot more similar to a fourth grader. And they may really have a lot of passion for their sport, whatever it is, basketball, football, whatever it is, they are not the physical specimen at that point in time. 
this can be such a discouraging point for many boys who, you know, they feel bad about themselves. They get messaging from sometimes parents, sometimes coaches, you know, like they don't get played because you're not big enough. Talk to parents about helping boys navigate that reality because that's reality for a lot of kids. Yeah, I see two huge issues. In fact, I said, again, a woman reached out with her son who's a water polo player and he's small and he's undersized. And the ish, the biggest issue is the coach is looking to win right now, yes. this year. And your 13-year-old doesn't stack up to the kid who's already shaving and looks like he should be driving, right? And so who am I going to pick when I look at the raw, right? The one that's got the muscles and the mustache. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Who's already shaving. And so as a parent, it's devastating. And as a mother of two boys who were both super late bloomers, my husband didn't start shaving till he was 25. So like, I mean, they, that's the way the DNA goes. So what can we do? And again, it's, it's a lifelong, it's one of those short-term losses for long-term gains. Um, Steph Curry has a new uh, Netflix show out called underrated. He was maybe 5'10", 155 pounds when only one school said, okay, fine, we'll take you at Davidson, right? It's finding the combination, and this is really, really hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a combination of, if you, particularly if you have a kid who loves the sport, is finding ways to keep them engaged and working hard and focused on the longer term prize and finding coaches in the short run who will value what they bring to the team. And that's really hard to do. How did you navigate that with your sons specifically? Because you said this was your reality, your lived reality. How to help your son who's a late bloomer. Stay tuned after these messages from our sponsors. Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com. And we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order. Because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. Yeah, so my middle son played both basketball and soccer and was equally passionate about both, like from age five until age 13. We moved to LA when he was 13 and he ended up having to leave rec because it was done for for both. And so at the same time, he's trying to do both club rec or club basketball and soccer. He got the most amazing basketball coach. He was awesome. And Parker was just like over the moon. And the soccer coach uh, would swear at the kids, would demean the kids, would demoralize the kids. And Parker was the third right back option. So most of the time in practice, 
he didn't even get a practice. So he wasn't getting any better. His confidence was going through the floor. We would pull up to the side of the field and he would be in tears. And this was my kid who like couldn't wait for soccer practice and would go bounding out, right? Yeah. It was the most heartbreaking moment as a parent where you feel like you're sending them to the wolves. And again, trying to practice what I preach. Well, we got to finish what we started, right? And yet knowing that he wasn't being treated kindly or fairly. So I did this exercise with him that I do with a lot of uh, my clients and it's called remembering the future. And I ha it's a guided visualization where I take you through what is your best day ever? And for him, I, we did it through basketball and you get out of bed in the morning and you open your box of shoes and it's the brand new shoe smell and you're putting on your shoes and you walk into that gym and you're high-fiving every teammate and the hoop is 40 feet wide. You <laughs> cannot miss. miss. You are on fuego. So we did this beautiful visualization and he was like, ah. and the next day he had to get up, drive an hour away to the soccer game with my husband. And my husband's texting him from the soccer game going, he's running funny. He doesn't look like he wants to be out there. I don't get this. I thought, oh God, it's going to be a long day because he's got to get in the car and drive to the basketball game in the afternoon. Five hours later, he comes ripping in through the front door. It's like, I had the best game ever. I was like, okay, that's not what I heard this morning. He said, no, mom, I had dad put the music on in the car. I remembered the future between the soccer game and the basketball game. And when I walked into that gym, knowing I was loved by this coach, knowing that I had the green light, I played free. I scored 30 points. I was amazing. Same kid, same day. Yeah. Completely different results based on what was going on up here. And that's the part that I say, I get it. There's a lot of coaches out there that aren't, they're in it for themselves. They're, you know, we, we can talk about coaches on a whole, you know, that's a whole other thing, right? And that's hard and I get it. It's, and it's painful. And of course, at the end of that season, when the coach proudly announced, well, your son's being cut. And I said, well, I, you know, I actually, I think we actually reached the same conclusion at the same time. <laughs> We're cutting you. Yeah, yeah. We won't yeah. be coming back. And he was like, wait, what are you talking about? And he wrote me this scathing email of how I can't handle feedback and this and that. And I pick up the phone and I just said, this isn't about that. This is about, he's a 13 year old boy and I can handle feedback, but you gotta, you, we gotta do this in a better way. And honestly, that's what this is about. I'm not doing it perfectly either. I think we can all learn from each other and learn from, gosh, that didn't go the way I hoped. And how can I hope that maybe, you know, if I asked him now, five, six, seven years later, he would say, ah, oh, I got to do things differently. And, and my son to this day, nine years later, he has never touched a soccer ball. Wow. And that, that breaks my heart, right? Because it was a thing he loved. And luckily for him, he had a second passion. And yeah. there are certain kids who don't. You know, yes. to your question, right? Like we need to find ways. The goal is to find ways to keep the passion. And again, some of them, okay, you're not going to be ultimately six feet, but even Steph Curry at six, two had somebody snuffed his light out. But when he got to Davidson, he had 13 turnovers in the first game. And you know what the McKillop said to him? You're starting again. Let's try to limit the, the turnovers this time. <laughs> Go. We right. all athlete or non-athlete we all need people who believe in us 
in our potential, even on our bad days, even when we are not at our physical peak yet. And so, yeah, sometimes we are fortunate enough that those people are outside of our families, you know, the, the great coach or the mentor. And sometimes we as parents have to step into that while we're waiting for external people to help us. Another good tip for parents, if you're in that situation, is I say success leaves clues. So find somebody a year or two or three years older. Like if your son's, remember when my oldest son was a freshman and there was a varsity basketball player and he'd walk into the gym and he'd be like, oh, Henry spoke to me. You know, like yeah. you don't think of it when you're the older one, but when you're the younger one and you have somebody that's paying attention to you and saying, keep working. So even mentoring. So finding a kid that's a year or two older than yours, nine times out of 10, they'll be like, oh, I was exactly where you were. And they mm -hmm. hear that and they're like, oh. From us, yeah, yada, yada, you know, it's like listen to peanuts, right? But when you hear it from a peer, don't give up. You've got yeah. this. I've done this. I've been in that situation. I've overcome that injury. It's really powerful. I've yeah. heard really positive stories as well of parents who had older boys. And in this case, I'm thinking like older middle school, maybe young high school. And somebody asked the older boy to like help their younger son, you know, just just play catch. Just, you know, do that with him a little bit. Because, I mean, frankly, the parents are like, oh, my God, I don't want to stand it. <laughs> not that they don't love their kid, but like, this is not my thing. And they knew their child kind of idolized this older boy. And it becomes such a positive thing for both children. Because when an older child is mentoring a younger one, like they're teaching, they're sharing their skills, and they're learning how to treat somebody compassionately and with care. And I like to say, you want to get with whatever it is you want to get, how you get it the fastest, give. Teaching too. Yeah. And mm -hmm. as soon as you give, it'll come back at you 20 times faster. And sure enough, there's a little seven-year-old boy that lives across the street and he started showing up at our fence and, and Parker's out there shooting. And he's like, can I shoot with you? And Parker's been coaching him and they showed, they were in their little Tony Parker jerseys the other day. They come in together and I think my son is getting more out of it than the little yes. seven-year-old is mm -hmm. because I was once where you were. I remember when I was standing there looking over the fence, wishing that a guy would notice me. And now you look at you, you're going off to play in college. And those are the stories that become, that's what they're telling themselves when that bad coach shows up. Ah, oh, it's okay. I can do this. Oh, he yeah. didn't, it didn't happen for him right away either. Keep working, delaying gratification really hard. We yeah. live in a society of instant gratification and I want it and I want it now. And okay, I didn't get it. We're going to go somewhere else. Sometimes that's the answer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is to bet on yourself. Yeah. And stay with it. What about the parents? And I've have worked with some families that are in this situation that the, the dad is a jock. Sports is everything. The mom is like, eh, whatever. And the dad tends to live vicariously through the son. And maybe the son kind of likes the sport or he likes the sport, but the dad loves the sport. How do we get dad to kind of back off a little bit? Yeah. And, and it's an all too common theme. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody is picturing somebody right, right? now. Yeah, yeah. I know who I am. <laughs> right. Exactly. We all have somebody on our child's team. That's that way. In fact, yeah. 
three different men came to mind. Um, Ooh, and boy. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Like they, you know, one played at USC and almost played pro. And like, so he, he has that running in his mind. And again, the book is for parents because I believe we need to, we need to put on the mask ourselves in order to help our kids. Our kids are a reflection of our energy. And if our energy is, you know, you got to win, you got to be the best. You're the, they're reading that and you're basically pushing them to, if particularly if they're a kid that's kind of on the fence about it, they're going to opt out because all they want is your love. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not going to get your love, if my, if your love is conditional to me, even if this is the most subliminal message that's sent, but your love is conditional on me getting the home run or making the top team or scoring the most points, then I would rather not be here at all because then I know I won't fail you. Mm-hmm. So I have a story in the book, true story. The boy was five, five, the dad's five, eight, the mom's five, two. And the dad would sit on the sidelines of the basketball game saying, we have a trainer. He says he's going to the NBA. I can't believe they're making him play on the freshman team. All of these boys suck. My son's the best. And every time the kid would shoot, the dad would yell and the boy would be watching the dad. Right. And Again, I don't blame the parents. It's lost parenting. He's trying to do the best he has from where he is with what he's got. But you're hurting your child. And so the message to parents is, and I get it, maybe the mom's listening and she's got to relay the message. But if you could watch yourself from the top of the field down, what would you tell you if it wasn't your kid? If you were just a random observer on that field and saw this parent behaving that way. There's a story too, a true story in Pennsylvania of a family that bought a banner and hired a plane and flew it over the field to say, fire Coach Smith and Coach Kowalczyk, right? Like, not because the team was losing, not because the coaches were bad. In fact, everybody loved them, but because his kid wasn't playing. I read that and I was like, I mean, I knew youth sports was crazy, but the only circumstance, only circumstance in which I could see that being the slightest bit appropriate, actually maybe quite appropriate, is like if there was very serious allegations and suspicion of abuse and and, and the school or the organization was doing nothing. Other than that, are you kidding me? And so what is the message to the child when you think about it from the child's eyes? my parents don't believe in me. My dad doesn't believe in me. They think I'm not enough. They need to go fight the battle for me and embarrass Mm. me. And what is my self-worth? And if the whole point of sports is helping to build your worth and your value to society, and you're depleting it, you're doing exactly the opposite to your child. And that's what I hope, like shine a light on that. And we all do silly things. We've all done, you know, whatever we yelled and we shouldn't have, or, you know, we went up to the coach and we shouldn't have, but let it be a, oh, that was interesting. And if we have awareness, then we can change how we and choose how we show up. Do you ever wonder if you should say something to another parent? Stay tuned after these messages. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits. And I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website. You get to take a little quick style quiz. Takes five minutes. 
And then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. It occurs to me, having been in the bleachers and hearing the very, very loud parent saying things over multiple games and multiple years and literally also watching their kid's face just change on the field, like wilt was the word that always came to mind. Is there, like, can other parents, should other parents ever say anything? It seems like such a volatile situation and I never did, but is there room for bystander intervention? And if so, what would that look like? <laughs> that is a great question. I I don't know that I can answer that because I, you know, again, there are so many people that are so, at least the ones that I've come across, they're so in their mind justified in what they're doing yeah. and saying. And sure enough, this story that I told, you know, the dad had bought poster size pictures of the boy because last year in eighth grade, he was the star and he scored all the points. And by the middle of the season, the dad stopped coming to the games. By the end of the season, when we had the the banquet, the only family that wasn't there was this boy's. And like that just breaks my heart when you think, what is the message? The son got, I wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, and they, yeah. guess what they did? They transferred to a different school. And I actually followed up because this was a few years ago and asked somebody, did he, he said he stopped playing by a senior year of high school. So of course he did, because you can't handle, you're not going to make him happy. And yeah. the dad's going to say, and it was their fault and their fault and yep. their fault. You know, there's kids that go to four different high schools and four different years and three different states. And again, if there's, yes, sometimes there are issues and I'm not saying don't ever transfer. And I'm not saying there, there are mismatches, but I am saying if it's always somebody else's fault, then again, that hopefully there's some, oh, okay, if I'm always the common denominator in my child's angst, and again, it's probably right. showing probably showing up in the classroom too, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, another story I have in the book is first grade and my son has a book report due and I show up at the, the PTA, whatever, picnic night planning committee and all the moms are like, so did you do the book report? And I'm like, the book, what, what book report? We had a book report for this meeting. They're like, no, 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 this is Cunningham. <laughs> you need to have a book report. Your son's book report is due tomorrow. Oh gosh, go home. Hey, did you do the book report? He's like, nah, haven't read the book. I'm like, okay, well, if you need help, let me know. Sure enough, three weeks later, I go into the this classroom and all these bookmobiles are hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and Mrs. Cunningham comes walking over with a big smile on her face because we're looking at the perfectly spaced 12 font, no, no spelling errors, book report. And then created by mine, first graders, right? First graders right. and mine yeah. with the, the globs of glue falling off and, you know, a couple words and, and she just smiled and she said, 
some people don't think I can tell who did the work. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a theme. Like, you know, what does that have to do with youth sports? Everything. Everything. Because that's how they're doing life. They're doing it in school. They're doing it in sports. They're doing it when they get to college. They're doing it when they get the job. If you've read Julie Lefcott Hames book, you know, that's how people are parenting. And what are we doing? We're leaving them bereft of any life skills. They cannot adult because they've never done it. I love that your book is Raising Empowered Athletes, but you yourself state straight up that this book is really about raising empowered humans. It is taking the exclusive focus off the athlete part. It is not all about building an athlete. It's a human. And when you lose sight of your child as a human, things tend to go wrong. I like to say, raise the child you have, not the one you wanted. And the parenting ego gets so in the way. And I get it. Like, again, I played at a high level. Of course, I would love to be able to say, that's my kid. It's so fun when you you win and you're on the top team and your kid's the star. But, you know, my daughter's not. She was the last one. She didn't get a play. It's hard to watch. So I get it. It's not, oh, well, no big deal. But what can she get out of this experience to advocate for herself, to learn about, wow, the team dynamics were interesting. Okay, we just finished the season. Are you going to stay? She just decided to go to a different club. So then you have that discussion. Why do you want to go? How are you going to handle it? Okay, you need to get on the co- on the phone and call the coach. And you need to call the head of the club. And you need to ex- tell, explain to them, you know, these are the reasons I'm leaving. I want to stop you right there for a minute. You need to call the coach. I know because we discussed early on. Right now, your daughter is, I think, 17, senior in high yes. school. Yep. So I'm assuming she was 17 or younger when you were having that conversation. Parents, you do not have to and should not give your child's anything, your child's athletic career, your child's drama career, your academic career. Your child needs to play an active role. And when they do, it matters more to them. Yeah, They need skin in the game. And then they also, they're so proud of themselves when yes. they navigate that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we were when our parents waved from the concourse by when we went to college and we saw them at Christmas. But now we have this umbilical cord where we're texting every yes. five minutes and, oh, he has a final today. Like I know moms that I'm hiking with who like know their college kids schedule and he's 5,000 miles away. And that like, drives me crazy, Kirsten. <laughs> I've talked to other moms and they're telling me what classes their kids are taking, what finals. And I'm like, I have a kid in college. I think I know what his major is, but he might've changed it. And do I even know what classes he has this semester? No, because it's his gig. Yeah. I mean, back to if you're in the portal looking at the grades, get out of the portal. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That drives me crazy. We don't need to know. Because you are a peak performance coach, you work with athletes, you've coached athletes, you've been in this world. I really do have to ask. There are so many teenage, young adults, even younger uh, boys who are trying to improve their performance. They're trying to bulk up. They're using supplements. It's the energy drinks. It's the protein shakes. It's the creatine. What advice would you give to parents about navigating that aspect of all of this? Full disclosure, I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm not going to say I know everything, but I do have a chapter on that in the book. 
And from my own experience, when my oldest, he was a garbage can and he would eat, you know, in and out and, you know, like Chick-fil-A and I can just eat trash and I can expect that I'm going to go perform. And of course, actually this morning, I was on the phone with one of my best friends who played at Stanford and one of her daughter's best friends is on the national team volleyball right now. And she's like, I've got her at my house and I had I had to go out and go shopping this morning. And I said, why? And she goes, well, apparently all she eats is hot dogs and in and out. And I'm like, she plays on the national team. So you hear that about Steph Curry, you hear that about LeBron, that they eat bags of candy. Like, so yes, there are people who can perform on junk. But I think if you want the Ferrari to run well, you don't put tar in it. And I get it. Food is is an interesting thing for kids too these days. <laughs> and you're on the road and you know. What is a family meal anymore? So we're eating at different times. Especially when you are on the club circuit and your weekends are tournaments and the concession stands. and Yeah. Yes. You're going you're gonna to run into junk food. But having a plan and a strategy, just like anything, trying to figure out ahead of time and ahead of schedule and, and then figuring out what is the things that they will eat. Like this son Parker would only eat chicken nuggets, you know, chocolate milk and French fries for mac and cheese for a long time. And this summer, you know, now he's 19 and he's lifting weights and he's got a chest and he's, you know, six eggs in the morning and chicken and he's totally changed his diet. Why? Again, back to the peer pressure, not in a bad way, in a good way. Oh, that guy's getting the results. But what are you eating? Oh, I'm eating clean. I'm drinking shakes. I'm not eat, drinking soda. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But even little things like, you know, my oldest gave up soda early on and he's like, oh, I don't need that. Right. But one of the things that they are like, oh, this is my foundation. And one of the things that I don't really need that. And if I added one good thing, because we're talking about building habits, we don't get to choose our outcomes. We get to choose our habits and our habits decide our outcomes. Same with us parents, right? COVID, five o'clock, isn't it wine time? You know, you do that for a few months and you realize, wow, seven days a week of drinking is not going to go well. So Mm -hmm. What habits are we choosing? What are we modeling? How much are you working out, walking the dog, whatever you're doing? How much are you reading? How much are you, you know, researching? How much are you failing? How much, gosh, I just, that presentation did not go well today. That's what you're talking about so that they can see you modeling it not going well, you know, and your successes too. And then we should all be cheering for each other when, oh, look, she got onto the new team. Oh, wow. He got the A on the test. So you don't have any genius advice, though, for trying to convince a teenage son who's sure that I can just, you know, <laughs> buy the supplement and it's going to help. And meanwhile, as a parent, you're like, you know, maybe like if you slept on a regular basis and, you know, ate uh, a balanced diet, you know, maybe that would help more than the supplement because this this culture that we live in quick and easy fixes are all much more attractive than and this is true for adults like we all know this pills are easier than diet and exercise does he want to exercise is it just about the food does he th- think he's going to get results just by eating certain things or is he actually combining anecdotally what i see both with my kids and with other kids is they just want to keep eating you know Takis and energy drinks, and then they think they can take some uh, protein powder and some creatine, and it'll be all better. But instead of, say, really building in healthy habits of eating, I don't know, protein from real food sources and getting enough sleep at night. 
mean, even having him watch if, like Super Size Me and some of these shows that kind of show you where your food comes from. And I know mine, particularly now YouTube seems to be like they're getting all their information from TikTok and YouTube. But, yeah. you know, they, he started to actually find like, oh, wow, I, I've been following this guy and he's talking about, you know, again, is it sustainably sourced? Is it, you know, are we doing good for the environment? I do think this next generation cares about some of that stuff that we hmm. were not aware of at all. So I would, again, look at what they're curious about and what are their other interests and see if you can approach it from, you know, again, not maybe maybe it's about, again, being good to the planet. Maybe, you know, maybe it's about sure. um, about how do I, and to your point of sleep, I mean, I, uh, Lisa Lewis and the Sleep Deprived Teen, and I write about her in the book too, and all of that research, which is, you know, our kids staying up till two in the morning, their clocks have shifted. They're off center. It's their frontal lobe and where they are, you know, their whole ecosystem has shifted. So they will mature out of it. But yeah. what are the guardrails that we can put in place so they don't go totally off the road so that, again, they're lucky. They can eat the crap and get away with it, probably, if they're actually doing workouts. Yeah. But are there some foundational pieces that we can help them put in place so that, they can, again, be building on it, you know, 1% better, not shifting all of it. I'm smiling because I have this image. You're right. You know, we can't change our kids. It's truth of parenting. We can work on the foundation and we can work on the guardrails. And I just suddenly had this image of us like frantically patching up and reinforcing the guardrails because they're bumping into them constantly all the time. Patch it up, reinforce. And yes, they do mature out of it. It's that in-between time that is a busy one and stressful for us as parents. The goal to all of this is that they become lifelong athletes, quote unquote, but that they enjoy movement and exercise into their adult life. And they hopefully have these habits of nutrition and habits of sleep that they take into their adult life. So as you said, you know, they're hopefully mature through this and they won't be eating Takis as a 30 year old. Jen had to tell me what Takis were once, but I now so I know what they are. I'm <laughs> proud of you right now, Janet. So proud I of have, you. I have teenagers, so I do know what they are and they're disgusting. They are not food. You know, I there's all these food-like substances, right, that they eat. And you go down anywhere in the center of the shop of the of the grocery store, like you shop the perimeter of the grocery store, that's all you need to shop. Mm -hmm. And even if it's one meal that you can convince your kid to make, that you'll make with them, that you'll show them start. how to make, it's a start. Take it's small start. wins, yeah. you know? And the best parenting advice I ever got was don't have one 90-minute conversation, have 90 one minute conversations, right? Mm -hmm. So especially it's, with the boys, right, Janet? It's a, uh, yes. Yes. It's a drip, drip, drip. And then, you know, again, five years later, they'll come back and go, gosh, so-and-so told me that I need to eat better. I, I wish you had told me that. And you think, huh? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We, yes. <laughs> yes. Gee. Somebody else says it. Yeah. They're going to get the credit. Fine. Take the credit. I don't care. Um, yeah. My oldest son was working out at UCLA. We live not close, not far from them. And he was, he was eating like crap. And he went and worked out with one of the UCLA basketball players who was totally ripped. And the guy looked him up and down. And he's like, you're D1? And my son's like, yeah. And he came home and he goes, I got to eat better. And I was like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but he heard it from a peer. Yes. 
this doesn't matter anymore, right? So much is who we're surrounding them with. And I say, go one or two levels above, find a coach that's a 22 year old or a 25 year old yeah. who's walked in their footsteps not that long ago. They'll listen to them. They'll mm -hmm. be saying exactly what you're saying, but they'll take notes. And that's all we care. We just want the results, right? We are running out of time, but I want to ask you about this. This idea, um, especially with males in sports, playing through pain, pushing through pain as an athlete, anybody who's high achieving, you have to push through some kind of pain. I wrote a book. You wrote a book. Painful childbirth. Painful but there's goodness on the other side. So there's a part of it that is appropriate. And yet there are times when it has become utterly inappropriate and harmful. We have heard tales of athletes who were pressured into sometimes voluntarily questionable on that, you know, playing on injuries that they should not have been playing on. What thoughts, words of advice do you have on parents helping their sons learn to recognize, you know, when they need a break for their bodies, for their brains, and when to push through. You know, it comes back to, again, if you're a parent of a, of a toddler, good for you, because you can start putting all of these pieces in place now. And if you have a teenager, it's not too late. The good news is we can start from where we are at any point, yes. but we need to give them tools to self-soothe that doesn't involve a device, that doesn't involve a mm. substance that doesn't involve anything outside of them, but things that they can go inside. I'm a big believer in meditation and mindfulness and affirmations. And a lot of the work I do with my clients is around those types of things. It's getting out of our heads and into our bodies. And when we have everything coming at us all mm. the time, all the time, you gotta get back on the field. You gotta do this, you gotta, you're not listening to yourself because you're just hearing the noise. And when you're checked in with yourself, you're better able to say, mm. you know what, I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. But it's the pressure that, again, we're feeling from the coaches, they're feeling from their parents, they're feeling from their peers of, we need you, we need you, we need you. You know, timely event, last night, Bronnie James collapses on the floor, cardiac mm. arrest. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what the path to recovery will be. He's a 19-year-old kid. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know yet what, what the cause of that was. Right. But I do know that LeBron James loves his son. And as much as he wants to play with him one day in the NBA, if I have to choose, I may never see my son again because I'm forcing him to get back on the court or we're done and we're pivoting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a no brainer. So to your point, what are the things, what are the tools that you're using? I'm a huge believer in journaling. Every morning I get up and I meditate for 20 minutes and then I write about my day as if it's already happened. I get it. Teenagers aren't going to write war and peace. But even if you got up and wrote three gratitudes, mm -hmm. I got to play with my puppy this morning. I'm so excited to get out to that field today. I'm going for ice cream with my best friend. I don't care what they are, but the the endorphin rush we get from the elevation of us being grateful and gratitude and putting us in that state, that's when we start creating. That's when we start thinking about, oh, well, I, I did really like that science project in seventh grade, and maybe I should go 
Like mm-hmm. that's where those ideas start to percolate. But if we're only in the, I got to do this and I'm playing this and this is my job. The book idea was seven years ago. Like it's been a long journey, yeah. but because I was listening, like, okay, are you willing to do the work? Yes. Because I believe my biggest calling in life is to help others figure this out. And this is a huge problem that we all have mm-hmm. in helping ourselves and helping our kids do better, be better, be aware. And the more self-aware we are, the easier it will be to, to lean into, gosh, I'm not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I need to take more time. I dream of a reality in which when you go to sign your four-year-old up for whatever whatever sport you pick first, when you go sign them up, they hand out your book. This should be mandatory reading. And listen, uh, I don't know if you picked this up or not, but the truth is neither Janet nor I are athletes at <laughs> all. This is not our world. And yet what comes through so much is you are talking about building life skills creating space to check in with yourself, specifically in the context of athletic injury or mental setback. Sure. That is a life skill. This is about raising empowered humans. So everybody I recommend, and I know you do too, Janet, check out Kirsten's book, Raising Empowered Athletes, a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids. And Kirsten, tell us also about your podcast and if you have any events or other things going on that people want can find you. Oh, thank you. Yes, this has been amazing. Um, I My website is kirstenjonesinc.com. I have a podcast called Hashtag Raising Athletes with Susie Walton. So Bill Walton's former wife and Luke Walton's mom. She's an athlete. We fell in love playing beach volleyball down in San Diego together. And she's a parenting coach. And so we talk just like you are. It's all about everything else. It's just, Mm -hmm. this is just a little vehicle to do that. But take out athlete, put in scientist. Take out athlete, put in artist. We, these are the life skills we want our kids to have. My book launches August 8th. I'm so excited. I'll be speaking. If you're in LA, I'll be speaking at in Brentwood at the Diesel Bookshop. And then I'm I'm going on tour. I'm going to be hitting a bunch of cities in your, hopefully in your neighborhood soon. If you do want me to come talk to your club or parenting group or school or any of that, that I, I'm all for it. I'm all about it. And so thank you so much for sharing the message with with them with your audience. Thank you, Kirsten, for being here and all the best on your book launch and your book tour. That's exciting. We hope this episode has been valuable to you, whether you're raising an athlete or a human being. Thank you so much for being our listeners. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.